Hey everybody, in this episode I'm going to talk more about the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. I'm not going to go into a a lot about the trade war with the United States and China. I'm quite frankly not super interested in that right now. And we're going to focus on improving our understanding and knowledge of what's happening in the Middle Kingdom and what they're doing in terms of their major worldwide, world-renowned project known as the One Belt, One Road, or the Belt and Road Initiative, the New Silk Road. So, sit back, take a listen. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. So, I am not going to focus on the ongoing trade war between the United States and China. Uh, for one, there's just it's too it's too much in the news at the moment. So what I mean by that is there's going to be a lot of unreliable information. There's a lot of posturing on both sides. Uh, obviously, President Trump is using all of his powers of persuasion. The Chinese are engaging in their style of diplomacy and rhetoric, and so it's going to be impossible to know what's going to happen until the dust settles. But once again, I want to focus more here on the Chinese Economic Initiative, Infrastructure Initiative, the One Belt, One Road Initiative, BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, where they're essentially building out uh, infrastructure across a huge swath of the world, across uh, Southeast Asia, uh, the Arctic, Russia, um, East Asia, the Middle East, and all the way into Europe. In the last podcast, I talked about some interesting facts that I'm reading from a paper from the uh, from the Belt and Road Advisory, and it's government-produced numbers and information, but I think it's pretty valuable. Um, so I want to go ahead and kind of continue on through this, and where I left off, I'm going to start here. So. In this section, it's called What's in it for Others. So this is where this Chinese paper is trying to essentially sell the benefits of the Chinese One Belt, One Road initiative to other countries. And it says, exports to China. Uh, Increasing exports to China's vast domestic market is an appealing opportunity for uh, BRI countries. In 2017, Chinese imports from BRI countries grew by 20% outpacing growth of China's exports to these countries. The total value of these imports summed up to $666 billion and almost 40% of China's total imports. Okay, so um, obviously there's a little bit of fun with these numbers in terms of that they're using growth rates, right? So uh, the imports grew by 20%. um, And... They, you know, there's a lot of appeal to growth, right? You're looking at growth rates. So they're talking about how the BRI imports countries outpace the Chinese um, exports to those countries in terms of growth, but not in terms of total value. Uh, That being said, it is notable that 40% of China's total imports do come from these countries. Now, there are, I think there's like over 70 countries signed on to the BRI agreement. So um, it's not that surprising, considering most of these countries are close to China, that China is importing from their closest neighbors, but still significant to note. 
Um, and this is clearly what they're trying to sell to other countries here is that, hey, by allowing uh, Chinese access to your infrastructure and your markets, you'll also get access to the Chinese markets. It continues, infrastructure needs. BRI can provide funds for or support implementation of much-needed infrastructure projects in Eurasia and Africa. According to the Asian Development Bank, Asia-Pacific region alone will require, on average, $1.7 trillion per year of additional infrastructure investment, or $26 trillion by 2030. So basically, the Chinese are offering to bankroll infrastructure projects for these poor or developing countries. Um, you know, this could have some positive and negative um, outcomes. There's always a lot of talk that the Chinese are trying to set up countries in a debt trap. So essentially, what the Chinese will do is they can loan money to the developing nation and say, okay, you use this money to build uh, the projects we want. And what happens is, is that if the countries are not able to pay back the loan or in a sufficient amount of time, then now they're in debt to, to the Chinese. That's what a lot of people are thinking. Now, um, is that wrong to think that way? Probably not. Is that the whole story? I don't think so. Um, I've said in my previous podcast, I think part of it is legitimately just to get make sure that the Chinese economy keeps moving. So I think it's a combination of one, yes, it's nice to have someone in basically some kind of indentured servitude to you. That's kind of nice. Uh, you can leverage that as a country against, um, you know, for your own interests. But at the same time, China needs to keep their economic engine churning. And what better way to do that than basically provide loans to countries to hire Chinese companies? So... Um, we'll see how long this can keep up. Next, it says there are new business opportunities. BRI investments change business environments by providing various sectors with new opportunities through improving infrastructure or pushing IT development in BRI countries. So um, essentially, as infrastructure and the business environment is improved in certain countries due to BRI projects, um, then the business environment, I guess, will be improved. So that will be obviously a benefit to other countries. It continues, access to capital in developing countries. Chinese funding can help many developing countries to stimulate their infrastructure development. The value of, planned, of the planned China-Pakistan economic corridor amounts to 20% of Pakistan's GDP while in Laos, a planned high-speed rail uh, network comprises around 50% of Laos's GDP. Indonesia needs $360 billion, or 40% of GDP, to finance its infrastructure plan to 2019. Kazakhstan aims to implement $40 billion, or 35% of GDP worth of projects, up to 2020. So, um, basically, China is giving out massive loans to these countries. Um, and obviously, it seems that China is going to be using its companies and expertise to uh, be building these projects. I'm sure that there will be some locally used companies as well. But it looks like China, and, and I mean, to be honest, this isn't, it's, I mean, it's bad and it's not for some of these countries because. China is offering to provide services to these countries at a economic cost that is 
probably totally worth it in some respects. But the uh, fear, obviously, is these com- countries getting into too much debt in order to build their infrastructure, and then you know the Chinese own it essentially. Um, I, but you know, I'm not convinced. You know, we don't know what angle China's going to take, but um, it seems obvious how it's shaping up. They also talk about political prestige. For many BRI countries, participation in the initiative offers a chance to increase their political significance in the international arena. Implementation of projects can also play a role with domestic politics. Okay, so that's whatever. So um, we're going to look here at the stakeholders, okay? It talks about how the BRI is a multilateral initiative implemented bilaterally. We know that already. Um, It's led by the Chinese government on the strategic level. BRI is implemented by multiple public and private sectors, uh, p- private actors on various levels, each of them with very with their distinct interests. Sure. Uh, number three, this is important. With almost 70 countries and even more international players involved, the number of stakeholders is very large. So there's, like I said before, there's like 70 countries involved in this thing. A lot of countries are getting involved. Now, the financial stakeholders are interesting here because they are mostly Chinese. There's this funny pie chart which talks about key institutional funding. It says 98% of BRI project funding comes from Chinese institutions. Okay, so almost the entirety of all of the infrastructure, that's we're talking about railways, we're talking about highways, we're talking about whatever power plants or anything that they're using for this project, 98% of it is coming from Chinese banks. The big four are the Agricultural Bank of China, the Bank of China, China Construction Bank, and Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, the China uh, Development Bank, Export-Import Bank of China, and the Silk Road Fund, whatever that is. That's the biggest players. Um, Second and third to those are the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which... Who knows how much money of that is coming from China. Uh, New Development Bank uh, from the BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, um, China, and South Africa. Um, I guess they have a development bank that they are trying to compete with the uh, IMF. So there's some funding coming from that, minuscule amount. They get some funding from the UK government, uh, about $1 billion. And HSBC is also involved as a financier. And this is from uh, 2016 data. So um, it seems pretty obvious here that the Chinese are bankrolling a huge, huge international infrastructure project. Um, so this is, uh, this is very interesting and people should be paying a lot more attention to this in my opinion. Now let's go over to some current news about the BRI. So I pulled up a couple of articles here. One is titled, and this is from the BeltonRoadNews.com or BeltonRoad.News. It says, Italy, and this is from May 14th, Italy sets opening up up tone for others to follow. So projects under the Belton Road initiative are no different from other World Bank, Asian Development Bank, and other international organizations. Michael Gorecci Undersecretary of State of the Italian Ministry of Economic Development told. Of course, this was written by a foreigner. Uh, the Belt and Road is a China-proposed initiative, but it mostly operates outside of China, Gorecci said. 
After signing up to the BRI, Italy expects to explore opportunities for cooperation with China. We believe the development of infrastructure and transport are very important to the Italian economy, he told uh, – this is what the undersecretary told the, um, the paper. Uh, interesting here. So Italy follows high standards on transparency. All projects and companies in Italy are required to follow quality and transparency standards. Um, so basically what's going on here is Italy is going to start using some of this uh, BRI initiative to use their own infrastructure. So China is essentially bankrolling infrastructure um, development in developed countries now. Uh, and it's not just them either because I read somewhere that it looks like the Netherlands is getting on board too. So um, Italy's getting involved in this and this is something that should not be looked at very lightly because they are uh, the Chinese are very intelligent in this regard. It says, ah, following Italy's steps, Luxembourg joined the BRI in March, and Switzerland formally endorsed the BRI in April. I'm going to go do some double-checking on that, um, but w uh, this is very significant. So in the BRI paper that I read, in the official statements from there, what they're talking about is how this is going to be used for a lot of developing countries. And then, sure enough, here we are looking at that now developed countries in Europe are also going to be using this funding to build and improve their own infrastructure. So who's paying for it? Well, according to the BRI paper, mostly the Chinese are paying for it. Um, and, and when I say they're paying for it, I mean they're providing the loans. And then these countries, they're providing the loan to the countries. They're financing the construction of these projects. Then, obviously, countries like Italy and Luxembourg, if they actually go through with these, are going to be paying back that money to China with interest. And if they don't, I'm sure there will be some kind of, um, some kind of agreement that they have set up here. Now, uh, I'm going to pause here. going to jump over to some uh, sponsorship ads. If you want to skip ahead, go ahead, and I'll be right, we'll be right back. Okay, guys, so... Um, I'm going to talk about another part of the world that's heavily, heavily utilizing uh, the Chinese BRI initiative here. Uh, this is once again from Belt and Road News or BeltandRoad.News. On October 30th, 2017, Azerbaijan President Ilan Aliyev um, and basically the president of Azerbaijan, the Georgian prime minister, the Turkish president, the prime minister of Kazakhstan, the Prime Minister of Bakajan or Bakistan, Uzbekistan Prime Minister Premier, um, all agreed to uh, launch a rail project to connect their countries as part of the One Belt One Road. Prime Minister, um, the Prime Minister of where is it of Georgia, uh, called the initiative a bridge between Asia and Europe. So all those countries I named, we're talking about Georgia. Once again, Georgia, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Turkey, all of those. That is that bridge from the western part of China near Xinjiang to, you know, just and then hitting just south of Russia. And they're aiming to go to Europe. 
So previously, I talked about how Italy and Luxembourg are, have signed on to some, or mostly Italy signed on to an agreement for some infrastructure building, it looks like. Um, all of these countries are signing on to a railway project. Uh, this is clearly significant because, once again, it's just, it's just providing, it's just showing the pathway that the Chinese are taking in ways to um, – on their way to develop these projects. Now, I want to jump ahead or jump aside here. I – in my recent research of uh, China, I've been listening to the Henry Kissinger book on China. Fantastic book. Big fan of Henry Kissinger. I've read um, two of his previous books, World Order and Diplomacy. Fantastic. He His, his insights are just unmatched and you know you can take that for what that's worth because i'm only 27 but uh, <laughs> but anyway he talks about uh the game Wei chi and i've had already thought about this i've already talked about this with other people somebody else that read the book way before me but um if you haven't played Wei chi it's a type of chinese chess that's you know it's probably a few thousand years old and it's popularly called go and a lot of people think it's Japanese. It's probably Chinese, considering um, it probably originated there, but it's been popularized from Japan. And it's based on putting stones on a board, white and black stones on a board, and you want to. And your goal is to basically surround your opponent. And and I came to realize that one thing about this One Belt, One Road initiative is China is kind of hearkening back to that strategy, that old Wei Qi strategy, if I can borrow from Henry Kissinger's knowledge. And it appears that one thing that China's doing is, I mentioned this previously, is not only are they setting up maybe possibly alliances, not only are they setting up an economic engine. Right, Because, like I said, they're providing funding for other countries to hire their companies to build. Right, So that means – think about everything that goes into that. You're talking about metal fabrication. You're talking about parts. You're talking about labor, concrete. You're talking about the engine of, an, of a, um, a construction-driven economic system, a manufacturing-driven system. The engine of that is going to keep burning as long as these projects keep going. But it's just, you know, who knows how long the funding will, will keep on going. Now, that being said, not only is it possibly an economic motive, but you also have the geopolitical and strategic motive that by creating all these different lanes, all these different railway systems, these different highways, these different connection points from China – it, it allows China to not be surrounded by the sea. So currently, China is surrounded in, in, in the Pacific Ocean by U.S. allies, South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, um, you know, people in Vietnam, Thailand. Uh, and, you know, a lot of countries are very weary of China and are weary of their military. Now, China knows this, and oh yeah, we, I don't know if I said Taiwan, but anyway, basically China has a lot of U.S. allies on its seaboard, so it's almost setting up this perfect situation for them, 
in terms of being able to um, always be on the move. I mean, they'll have access to pretty much anywhere in the world through these different land and sea routes that they're trying to create. So, you know, that's interesting. Now, keep in mind that all these roads going out of China also make it easier to come into China. So uh, that's also something to consider if China were to get into a full-scale issue with a large country then obviously it would be a little easier to get into the country when there's a million different railways and highways leading there. But that's all I have to say for today. And uh, like I said, I'm just enjoying the process of kind of getting to learn and understand and uh, improve my knowledge of what's going on on the other side of the world. I think we would all benefit from realizing what's happening over in China, especially in this day and age. And on a little tangent here, you know, I do, you know, in my lifetime, I pray to God and I don't assume that China will eclipse the United States. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be a predictor here. But it, it does seem pretty obvious that they are setting themselves up to be at least a contender with the United States for, you know, as long as they can. And that could be for a long time, maybe my entire lifetime. We could be, you know, locked in disputes with China. So it's worth uh, taking a note. It's worth learning a little bit about what's going on over there uh, because, you know, what happens over there will affect us. It's just, you know, trying to figure out what's going on and when. So anyway, I'm going to cut it there. Anyone who's listening, I appreciate it. Awesome. Have a great one.